Welcome to one of those times in a life, sharing songs and stories around the virtual campfire. At this campfire, Leap of Faith. come so don't look down all the signs say outward bound song by song in town to town taking a leap of faith that's the first verse of a song called leap of faith in the fall of 1997 the brothers four did a showcase in new york city for a national organization of community concerts the audition took place at Carnegie Hall, and though it was not the main auditorium, I'm still able to say that at least once I did get to Carnegie Hall. What the group got was two seasons of concerts, primarily in small and medium-sized towns and cities around the U.S., and together with Japanese performances, we would do over 150 shows between September of 1998 and October of 2000, the group's busiest schedule in decades. In early June of 1998, after the last performance of the musical memoir, Season of the Heart, it, it was time, and, and I was ready to move out of the shadow of my father's death and onto other things. Because I knew that life on the road can be simple, but is often difficult and can be tedious, I spent much of the summer getting ready for the touring that would begin in the fall. I'd begun walking after my father's death as a way of meditating. And by the summer of 98, I was walking long distances for exercise. And I thought, how great it would be to explore towns and cities on foot. And so I began working even harder to be in good walking shape. For years, I'd played squash or racquetball at a club in North Seattle. And that summer, I started attending yoga classes there. And one of the instructors struck a chord with her inviting spirit and gentle way. She ended up creating a series of yoga poses and stretching exercises for me to do in hotel rooms. At the same time, I began being tutored in music theory and composition by a professor from Edmonds Community College. I'd never had formal musical training, so everything he talked about was something new or something I saw in a new light. He gave me books to read and assignments to do, as well as a computer software program to listen to for ear training while I was traveling. As a kid, painting and drawing had come more naturally to me than music, and off and on through the years I'd drawn and painted, mostly from pictures or photographs. And that summer I committed to picking up a paintbrush or a pencil for at least a few minutes every day for two years, and draw or paint whatever was in front of me. And because I didn't intend to share or show the results of my work, I soon realized what, what a gift it was to sit and look at the world and try to render it for no other reason than I could. And on the road, I had time to do just that. Those feelings of freedom and spontaneity and joy were so satisfying that I began to try to apply them to my often over-serious songwriting. There was also a story I wanted to tell, a book I hoped to write, about how my life had changed after a lifetime secret of family depression had been revealed unexpectedly at my father's memorial. 
I had a title, Learning My ABC's One Man's Search for Authenticity, Belonging, and Confidence, but little else. Because I had successfully written on previous tours about my cousin and her cancer, and my parents and their golden anniversary, I figured this process would be similarly successful. I had no idea it was going to take some 10 years to come to terms and truly understand what I was beginning to call my dad's last gift, and even longer to share that gift with the world. A few days before the first tour, a representative from American Greetings called and asked if I could be part of a new project they were working on. What it amounted to was spending time looking out the window of the bus, thinking about people I loved and telling them in as few words as possible how much I cared. What a great way to spend time. What a fine way to look at America and see the world. On the bus and off we go Tuning up and down the road Searching for both truth and home Taking a leap of Beginning in September of 1998, the Brothers Four did 80 performances in slightly more than seven months. We started with club dates in Japan, doing two full shows a night for two weeks, with a couple of those days being travel days. And by the time the U.S. tour began, we were in prime performing shape as well as high spirits. Before we left, it was decided everyone would get equal pay. Prior to that, Bob and John, the founding members, had earned more, and the fact that they were willing to adjust downward while Terry and I got a nice bump up on the eve of one of the group's biggest paydays tightened the bond and lightened the mood as we boarded an honest-to-goodness tour bus in North Seattle for a 13-show West Coast leg of the tour. The group had never traveled by band bus with a professional driver before. Because we were a vintage group, it was somehow appropriate we were traveling in a classic American Eagle that had clearly seen lots of miles and better days. The three primary sections of the bus felt familiar, perhaps from an old Willie Nelson movie. The front section contained a driver's seat and a swivel passenger seat across from him, and there was a couch and an overstuffed chair, a galley kitchen, and a table with a couple of padded bench seats. It didn't take long to establish our positions. Terry across from the driver, John on the couch with the road manager, and Bob in the overstuffed chair, and because I had the only laptop computer, I was usually at the kitchen table. The middle section consisted of bunk beds, four on a side. The bunks we chose on the first leg were the ones we kept throughout the two full touring seasons. Mine was the upper bunk closest to the front of the bus on the rider's side. And while we stayed in hotels at night, we each spent time in our respective bunks, often with the curtains drawn, resting or reading or listening to music with headphones on. In the back of the bus was the master suite with a door that closed. If someone needed time alone, that's where they went. And more often than not, in places like Orofino, Idaho, Worland, Wyoming, Lodi, California, Ottawa, Illinois, Bedford, Indiana, Alliance, Ohio, New Bern, North Carolina, Griffin, Georgia, the performance hall is the high school auditorium, and the dressing room is frequently the band room, 
and Dan, our road manager, would head to the gigs a few hours ahead of us and with the help of an all-volunteer crew would focus whatever stage lights the place had and set up the sound system that we carried on the bus with us. The bus driver would get the four of us to the hall a couple hours before the show. We finished the sound check well before the doors opened. In the 30 to 45 minutes before it was time to tune and get ready, I'd take out my pencils and watercolors and perhaps do a sketch of instrument cases or a rack of show clothes. 30 minutes ahead of showtime, I'd start tuning my guitars and banjos and put on my tuxedo. And with a few minutes to spare, I was ready to go. The shows never varied. We sang our hit songs like Greenfields and Green Leaves of Summer and Try to Remember. We performed familiar tunes from the folk era like This Land is Your Land and Where Have All the Flowers Gone and Four Strong Winds. We rounded the show out with medleys of American ragtime, bluegrass, calypso tunes, railroad songs, as well as an arrangement of music from The Man of La Mancha. We worked hard for two hours, giving people what they wanted, and in return they rose to their feet at the end of every show. I tell people there's nothing like going to bed after a standing ovation. Of course, it's sometimes hard to get to sleep right after a show. And the next morning often arrived quickly, especially if the day included a couple hundred miles of driving before a show that night. No matter how much I prepare, part of me is running scared. I hold my breath and I say my prayers Taking a leave of faith A community concert season is similar to a school year, meaning the group got the summer off in 1999. Five years earlier, in July of 94, a few days after her own birthday, my wife Pat donated bone marrow through the National Bone Marrow Registry to an anonymous patient who was a likely match the outcome was so successful that a year later, Pat and the recipient, a young girl and only child of a Florida couple, agreed to correspond and eventually to meet. And five summers later, Brianne, that young girl now grown into a vital teenager, asked if she could visit the Northwest as a way of celebrating the mysterious and sometimes magical milestone where as a cancer patient she would be going from being an in remission to being considered a survivor. We decided to celebrate Pat's birthday in what Brianne called her fifth rebirthday at a single event in our home. We filled the place with family and friends. In the course of the evening, we shared 24 special new songs written for those in attendance. After each individual song was sung, Pat presented that person with a pen engraved with the title of his or her song. It was a night of joyful triumph. That summer, I created my own album of newer original songs written for family and friends as well as for Nashville. I had great musicians play on it. To keep costs down, everything was recorded live, and the title song was one from Pat's and My Wedding, Let Love Go Forward. One of my high school friends, Lonnie Olson, the other guard on the football team, was at a combination CD release party and concert in early September. It was clear to both of us he was fast losing his battle with cancer. 
He talked that night in a slow but animated way about our coach telling us before our last game of our senior year in high school how we would remember that moment for the rest of our lives. I didn't have the heart to tell him I didn't remember what the coach had said. What I will never forget was that Sue Ellen, his high school sweetheart who'd become his wife, chose to play one of the songs from that CD at Lonnie's Memorial and that their son chose to read an excerpt from a letter I wrote to him about playing football with his dad. Unfortunately, I wasn't at that memorial to sing the song because the new concert season was underway and the brothers four were back in the bus and on the road. I don't know what tomorrow brings Hello world, it's time to sing I close my eyes, I spread my wings Taking a leap of faith The 1999-2000 season started with 16 shows in Fukuoka, Osaka, and Nagoya, Japan. The year before, when we played in Osaka, we stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, a truly world-class hotel. I told Pat it was worth coming to Japan simply to have that experience, so she did. Of course, we ended up staying instead at the Hanshin, a, a nearby business hotel. Oh, the mysteries of the road. The fall bus tour started in Columbia, South Carolina, and wound its way to San Antonio. The performances continued to bring audiences to their feet. Somewhere in Texas marked the hundredth time we'd sung the exact same show in less than a year. I vaguely remember going on stage that night, performing in some kind of smiling, unconscious autopilot. And when I got back to the hotel, I started wondering, what if that turned out to be the last show I ever did? And before long, I was remembering my first show. I was 15. My brother and I, along with two friends, played our four-string banjos at the Coeur d'Alene Hotel on Post Avenue in Spokane. We rode the service elevator to the smoky basement bar, played our entire repertoire of eight songs, emerged into the cool night air as Larry, the oldest among us, who'd booked the gig, tried to figure out the fairest way to divide $15 four ways. Remembering that night, all those years later, I made a promise that I've kept ever since. Just before going on stage, I asked myself two questions. What if this was my first show? What if it was my last? And on the best nights, I find a magical place between those two places, and most nights I remain sublimely in the moment. In November of 1999, I became a homeowner for the first time. For health reasons, John and Gail Payne's neighbors needed to leave their waterfront home in Port Ludlow. The previous spring, Pat and I offered what we thought we could afford, which was not what they thought their home was worth. Six months later, they asked us if we were still interested. We were, because another friend of the Paynes was looking for a job, a, a place to put his tools, and a place to live. Renovating our new old house fit all his bills, and because he gave us what he called his family rate, we could afford to pay those bills. And in the end, he got three years of work, and we got a beautiful home in a beautiful spot. That season, the winter leg of our tour finished up on Tuesday night in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. After the show, we drove to Nashville and stayed at a Shoney's Inn next to Music City Row. Music City Row. 
I'd stayed at that hotel many times before when I went there as a songwriter. And I watched people get in and out of their tour buses in that parking lot, wondering what it would be like to be one of them. And for one night, I was. And by that next Friday, I'd learned again, one more time, the songs I was writing were not ones people in Music City were interested in recording. For me, one of the most important things about life in general, and certainly about life on the road, is finding the humor in the human. One night after a show, a woman came up to us, and though we were all there, it was John Payne she was talking to. Do you remember playing at the University of Tennessee in 1962, she asked. I do, he replied. It was a fairly safe answer. The group played nearly every major college during the early 60s. Do you remember crowning the homecoming queen? Now it's getting a little trickier for John. We all figured, of course, he did not remember, and we couldn't wait to hear what he would tell her. I do, was his white lie reply. Was that you by any chance? It was, she whispered, but I couldn't remember if it was you guys or the four freshmen. <laughs> to this day, remembering that moment brings a fresh wave of laughter to even the longest road trip. Each day I continued to spend time on the computer at the kitchen table of the bus watching the world go by, searching diligently, though unsuccessfully, for the story behind the title, Learning My ABCs. Every day I filled a page or two of a sketchbook, explored new towns on foot even in the worst of weather, made yoga stretches as common a ritual as voice exercises before every show, Remained committed to ear training, composition, and music theory studies, though Al Galanti, my music tutor, died unexpectedly. And I began dedicating what I was learning to his memory. The rhythms of the road, feeling familiar, and occasionally like a friendly rut until the final countdown began. Chico, Modesto, San Bernardino, and finally one last standing ovation and it was time to go home. Every time I hear those songs, I've just gotta sing along. When I do, I know I belong. Taking a leap of faith. The finale to an amazing two years of performing was a 26 show, 17 city, five and a half week tour of Japan, starting the third week of September in 2000. Doing concerts in Japan is always something special. We play to appreciative audiences in beautiful halls, work with a dedicated crew that goes with us throughout. We travel in comfort and we stay in style with a schedule that allows time to explore that amazing country. And for those particular shows, they built a stage set that resembled an American diner, and they called the whole thing the 40th Anniversary College Concert Tour. Making this trip even more memorable was the fact that Pat, along with Jody and Lindsay, her two 20-something daughters, were able to be part of the traveling troupe for the first two weeks. It was a fortnight filled with highlights made simpler and grander by perfect weather every day. Ten of those days were in Tokyo, staying near the Imperial Palace at the Capital Tokyo Hotel, an intimate place favored over the years by the likes of the Beatles and Michael Jackson and the Three Tenors and, yes, the, the Brothers Four. 
Ricky Martin and Sting were there when the family was there. Two of those were Sundays in the parks in Tokyo, an experience like no other as Japanese kids of all ages dress up from the formal to the fantastic and congregate in that city's beautiful, expansive urban retreats. The second Sunday included Pat and her daughters marveling at numerous generator-powered bands, including the dancing Elvises side-by-side in Yoyogi Park, creating a clamoring cacophony of creative mayhem before the three of them walked across a pedestrian bridge to NHK Hall to join 300 others at a folk concert featuring numerous Japanese folk acts and starring the Brothers Four live and being recorded for future broadcasts. During a previous visit, Pat had formed a relationship with a travel guide who this trip gave her and her daughters a personal tour of Kyoto and Nara, complete with a stay in an authentic Japanese ryokan. And they rejoined the Brothers Four in Osaka after an emotional visit to Hiroshima. Osaka is famous for their food, and when we were leaving a promoter-hosted dinner the next evening, Lindsay looked at me and said she was sure that meal cost more than she made the previous year. And a few nights later, a longtime friend of the group who had once been the famous film director, Akira Kurosawa's road manager, invited us to, to dine in a private room in Kurosawa's favorite Chinese restaurant in Tokyo, a few blocks walk from the capital Tokyo Hotel. No one commented about how much that meal might have cost, but everyone agreed the stories shared that night were priceless. Throughout the family stay, the Brothers Force Friends Club members were eager to shower Pat and the girls with presentos as well as a gift of their time. I was anxious to show the kids my favorite places. Someone they had known since childhood had moved to Tokyo, and he was able to show them places I'd never even heard of. And at a concert at Keio University, a man came up to Pat and showed her a picture of him and me taken 30 years earlier along with a guitar pick I'd given him all those years ago. And after that night's concert, another picture was taken and a pick was added to his pocket. The last night Pat and the girls were in Japan, the Brothers Four performed at the famous Kosenenki Hall in Tokyo. I remember all the flowers in the dressing rooms and on the stage. I'll never forget Ryoko Moriyama, one of Japan's most famous singers, Introduced 40 years earlier at a Brothers Four concert, this night, accompanied only by a small crystal music box she held in her hand, holding everyone in attendance in the palm of her hand, before joining the four of us for a special rendition of Where Have All the Flowers Gone? The next morning, in the origami coffee shop at the capital of Tokyo, I had a farewell breakfast with Jody and Lindsay. They'd been introduced every day for two weeks as my stepdaughters. One of them looked up from her French toast and said, You know, we're, we're fine with the idea of simply being introduced as your daughters. No step needed. It's one of the sweetest things anyone's ever said to me. I don't know if I'll fall or fly In the end, fate must decide all I know is I must try Taking a leap of faith Three and a half weeks later, the Brothers Four were home. And two amazing years defined by touring were now over. 
It had been a time of affirmations, standing ovations, and remunerations like few others. In the coming months, I would discover how important that time had been as I struggled to finish what I continued to call learning my ABCs, one man's search for authenticity, belonging, and confidence, and, and then began dealing with all the ghosts and the demons that that manuscript was about to set free. Taking a leap of faith. Thanks for sharing one of those times in a life. At the next campfire, what I was most afraid of. Hope to see you then. And remember, when you buy a CD or download a soundtrack of The Journey, you're helping make this journey possible.